Hello, everybody, and welcome back to your critically acclaimed. I am. Oh wait, I'm not critically acclaimed. You are, dear listener. Yes, you're very, critically acclaimed. Very distinctly not us when we do this podcast. It's 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 y'all. Uh, my name is Whitney Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I too am a critic, and people call me Whitney Seibold. Mm-hmm. And uh, over at our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Critically Acclaimed Network, uh, our upper tier patrons have the power to force us to do a podcast about anything they want. We call it your critically acclaimed. Because it's yours. Mm. And this time on your Critically Acclaimed, we are talking about uh, one of the best films from one of the best years in movie history. We are talking about 1999's animated classic, The Iron Giant. What are we looking at here, Mr. Manley? This is no meteor. This is something much more serious. Hey there, Scout. Jack Mansley, you work for the government. I have something for you. Where did you find that? Up at the power station. Hogarth was out there the other night. Really? See anything unusual, Hogarth? No thing unusual. Really? The arc on the Iron Giant was a little odd. Uh, it came out in uh, late summer, I believe. Yeah, it was uh, August. It was, I yeah, think. It, was, it was an August release, uh, which is around my birthday. My, mm-hmm. I, it was like a week after my birthday, and uh, it sort of came and went from theaters without audiences paying much notice. It was an animated mm-hmm. film in this really heavily packed year of a lot of big, uh, really uh, critically acclaimed movies, and critics took notice. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of critics right that were, yeah, were, were really highly praising it. It got a lot of really, really good reviews. I think it even made a few uh, top ten lists at the end of the year. Uh, and for whatever reason, audiences kind of stayed away. And it was one of those films that... It, uh, thanks to home video, ended up growing mm-hmm. what started out as a bit of a cult, then a lot more of a passionate following, and then eventually it came to be a lot more widely recognized as, you called it, a classic. Yeah, I, th- uh, I think it became a cult classic, mm-hmm. then it's, I think now it's solidly a classic. What happened at the time? Well, uh, it was a really crowded summer. Mm-hmm. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, amongst the let's, I'm actually going to go... Through the summer of '99, just because I want people to appreciate just how lucky we had it in the summer of '99. Hey, cats! No cats. Uh, All right. It, it was a good year. It was a varied year. There were yeah. a lot of different types of movies. It wasn't like a good year for X. I'm going to scan from May mm. to August. I'm, just gonna, I'm on the Wikipedia mm. page here. Okay. And these are the these are the noteworthy films that came out the summer of 1999. Many of which I saw in the theater. What a summer! Uh, okay, the the Mummy with Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz, Star Wars Episode One: A Phantom Menace. Uh, not a good film, but a big deal. Yeah, uh, Notting Hill, The Buena Vista Social Club. Ooh, I was a big deal at the Austin time. Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, The Red mm. Violin, Tarzan. Uh, let's see, Run Lola Run, Big Daddy, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't have to mention Big Daddy. Big Daddy was a huge hit. It was huge. Yeah. I'm just, I, not all of these are good, yeah. but a lot of them were big. Uh, let's see, speaking of which, Wild Wild West. 
Spike Lee's Summer of Sam, mm-hmm. American Pie, The Blair Witch Project, oh, yeah. Eyes Wide Shut, and Lake Placid, <laughs> and The Wood, Drop Dead Gorgeous. Uh, let's see what we got here. Deep Blue Sea, Runaway Bride. The weekend the Iron Giant came out was also the week we got Dick, starring Michelle Williams and Kirsten Dunst as two teenagers who take uh, who take down the Nixon administration. Also the same day as the Iron Giant, Mystery Men, The Sixth Sense, and the remake of The Thomas Crown Affair. It <laughs> was a big week. That was a huge week. All of those I movies know. are good. I was lucky enough that I had, I had seen Mystery Men like two weeks previous Ooh. at like the special uh, like Giganto preview screening. That's exciting. Uh, way out in Century City. Yeah. At the theater that's not there anymore, unfortunately. And that gig- uh. that's also where I saw Eyes Wide Shut, actually. Yeah. Another great 99 film. Uh, so I, I was probably uh, really pushing for that one just because I loved it at the time and I still adore the movie. Yeah. Uh, but I did go see The Iron Giant, I think, that yeah. weekend. Uh, yeah. I went by myself because that was my want at the time, and yeah. I was really impressed. I, I didn't see it until home video, but just to scan through the rest of the summer, because that wasn't even it. Then oh. we had Bowfinger, Detroit Rock City, and... Uh, let's, uh, Mickey uh, Blue Eyes. Uh, okay, they can't all be winners. <laughs> the Dog of Flanders. Okay, or that the, probably was the end the of the big 13th summer. the 13th Warrior. The that probably was life, the end of the big summer. I firmly Look, agree. Not that every was, film that came out in 99 was good. It just, no. There, there were a lot of good ones. The, the ratio of good slash great to forgettable mm. was unusually good. Yeah, like, like for, so, for every stigmata, we had a stir of echoes. Yeah, and the, and the advertising for the Iron Giant was not great. Like let's just if do you remember it because I remember a I, I there only was ever saw posters never any like TV ads the or, posters or were kind of anything like that the posters were just fine mm. and the ads that I saw on TV were atrocious it was uh, desperately trying to make the movie look hip and cool like the Poochie version yeah. of the Iron Giant and they would have like mm. you know he he's got a new friend in town and they would say like here I am rock me <laughs> like a hurricane. Yeah, because kids love 80s hair metal in 1999. You just mentioned the film Dick, which was a teen comedy with Michelle yeah. Williams and Kirsten Dunst about the Nixon administration. Kids were very open-minded, all right? Yeah, so, Dick wasn't a huge hit either, my No, no but it has... <laughs> a, young audiences went and enjoyed it, is my point. They were yeah. aiming this really strange co- concept comedy at a, a teen audience. Yeah. I think putting a Scorpions hair metal song in 1999 isn't too far afield. Yeah. Remember, MTV was still on the air. People were a little bit more cognizant of music. Uh, but yeah, the, the Iron Giant came out. It's directed by uh, Brad Bird. It was his first feature film. Uh, he, He'd been in animation for a long time. Yeah, and he uh, came to be known as one of the giants of the form after he moved to Pixar. Yeah. And uh, then eventually moved into live-action films, and he made two live-action films, which are okay. Yeah. Um, well, people, a, lot, a lot of people really love Ghost Protocol. Mm. Uh, Ghost Protocol has some amazing stunts in it. I don't think it's a very good story compared to some of the other Mission Impossibles. Mm. But uh, it's weird, because The Iron Giant was incredibly celebrated, but it was considered a box office bomb. It cost over $70 million to make. It made, like, less than twenty-five. Mm. Uh, it was a big disappointment, especially for Warner Brothers, who had been really kind of desperately trying to get an animation department going, and... And they just couldn't whip out a big animated hit for the life of them, no matter how hard they tried. And they tried some high concept stuff. Didn't they also do Osmosis Jones? They did Osmosis Jones. They did Cats Don't Dance, if you remember that movie. That movie has a cult. Uh, that movie has I'm, a cult. I'm a member of that cult. I, I actually seen I that. saw Cats Don't Dance twice in theaters. Wow. I actually like took friends to see that thing. It's yeah. it's um 
it, it felt really Looney Tunesy to me. Like it's really kind of broad and, and wonderful and right. unique. Uh, so I appreciate when big studios are trying new animation project projects. Yeah. You know, DreamWorks doing Captain Underpants. Great, do it. Yeah, uh, the, the idea was someone has to be able to compete with Disney, right? Yeah, and and Disney has uh, Disney is the dominant paradigm, which which we all must subvert. It's, <laughs> they are the uh, just the the safest, cleanest, most elaborate, uh, and in a lot of ways, most boring animation studio. They they take a lot of classical stories and make them fit a very very specific type of storytelling. And, and Disney's big release in 1999, besides uh, they did Toy Story 2, which was of course great, mm. uh, but their big like 2D animated film was Tarzan, which is considered I think one of if not the last films of the Disney Renaissance. That movie is impeccably animated. Like yeah. the animation of that movie is maybe some of Disney's best as a studio. Mm. The story is fine. The story, the acting, the music, all of that is actually pretty pretty bad. I, I wouldn't even say movie. it's bad. It's just it doesn't really stand out. It's um, not very good. But the animation really saves it. But after this, they would start kind of teetering into their own CG animation with Dinosaur. Nobody mm. gave a shit. And they would do stuff like Treasure Planet, which, you know. Also bombed. bombed. Yeah, I, I know you like it. I like but... it a lot. But I, it was not a hit. Let's not pretend otherwise. Mm. And then they started doing Home on the Range and shit. And they actually entered into a very fallow period for most of the 2000s, except for their films with Pixar. A uh, couple of hits here or there, don't get me wrong. So it's weird. I feel like Iron Giant, if it had come out like one or two years later, mm. it might have hit a sweet spot. And I think people might have connected with it because Disney, Disney wasn't was, delivering yeah, a, at a little time. bit on, on the decline. Um, the reason it cost so much was because Brad Burr, it's, uh, the story is about a young boy and uh, like a 50-foot st- uh, iron robot. Yeah, from space. Uh, from space, uh, voiced by Vin Diesel. Which is basically and, like, hey, imagine E.T. if E.T. was 50 foot tall and a yeah. giant robot with laser eyes. And, yeah, and it takes place in, in the 1950s. Um, the robot, all of the characters were uh, hand-drawn cell animation, but the robot was done in what is traditionally called 2.5D. That yeah. is, they did a, a 3D uh, wireframe modeling and then they animated it to look like a drawing. Yeah, so that so it would fit so in, that would fit in, yeah, not like too and, distracting. Yeah, and it's impeccable. It, it looks really good. It, yeah, it looks it, it moves in this unusual yeah. way, but it's a robot, so it, f- it works just fine. Yeah, and this was uh, I think this was one of, if not the first, animated feature films with an entirely CG main character. Mm-mm. Uh, yeah, my yeah. yeah, I think I mean, it might be. They, they've been incorporating uh, apart, CG in animation since the mm-hmm. '80s, but yeah, apart from like. You know, Toy Story or fully animated. Well, yeah, I'm talking about like just what we're like, yeah, Hmm. doing both types of animation. Right, right, right. Um, Uh, So it was a a big experiment. Did you ever see the film Technological Threat? It's a short film. I don't think so. It's uh, about a bunch of like Tex Avery looking wolf characters working in an office and they die. And then the boss hits a, like one of them dies at their desk and the boss hits a button on the wall, falls through a trap door and enrolls a two and a half D animated robot thing and it's just very oh. basic polygon shapes it's like a pyramid and a sphere in a box yeah and it starts doing the work a lot more efficiently and more and more characters begin dying oh, out more wow. and more robots come in until there's just this one Tex Avery character left and it starts destroying all the robots um, that sounds great I want to see it's, yeah, that lo- yeah. look it up I think it's just on YouTube now but look it up it's called Technological Threat and that was the first time I ever saw a 2.5D and I uh, love the look of it yeah um I because it it is marrying these two things. Uh, it appreciate it's it's technically CG, but it acknowledges the aesthetic mm. of two D animation mm. that we love so dearly. 
Um, and yeah, and I think I think Brad Bird and the entire animation team uh, uh, really handle it really, really beautifully. Mm-hmm. Uh, the The story is based on a book called The Iron Man by Ted Hughes, who is a very celebrated uh, poet. Mm. Uh, and uh, the screenplay was by uh, Brad Bird uh, worked on it. Apparently, Brent Forrester also worked on it uncredited. But the main story credit was Tim McCanley's, who I maintain is one of the most underappreciated screenwriters of his generation. Well, and not a doesn't have a huge filmography. No, he didn't. He he wrote uh, uh, he wrote he wrote and directed a great independent movie called Dancer Texas Population eighty one, which mm. is basically what it sounds like, real small town Americana story, but very very well crafted uh he wrote the screenplay for the iron giant and he wrote and directed secondhand lions which i didn't see it's so good (laughs) seriously this is one of the best family movies that people have never seen i'm dead serious i love this movie to pieces uh it was right at the tail end of Haley joel osmond's like childhood career um Haley joel osmond goes off to live and i think it's also set in the 50s or 30s or 40s mm. you know earlier in the <laughs> 50s or 30s in the mid the mid 20th century the mid 20th right. century okay. uh and he goes off to live with uh robert his Duvall, right? robert Duvall and michael kane they play oh. brothers there's okay. there's eccentric uncles living on a ranch in texas and uh they're just curmudgeonly jerks Mm. And the kid is just forced to just spend time with them. And eventually he realizes two things. One, they're actually kind of rich. And two, they're really bored. So (laughs) for the most, for like the first half of the movie, like there's this recurring gag where they like are like scaring away like door to door salesmen Mm. with like guns and stuff because they think it's funny. And then Hillary Lawson's like, have you ever tried buying stuff from them? And they're like, what do you mean? Well, what if they're selling something cool? We never thought of that. <laughs> and they just start buying weirder and weirder stuff until they end up buying lions. <laughs> Secondhand lions. Secondhand lions. That's the story. Mm-hmm. It is really, really wonderful. There's lots of these great sort of fanciful flashbacks about uh, Robert Duvall and uh, Michael Caine's like young adventures that may or may not be true in a sort of like Princess Bride kind of way where it's like right. it's kind of origin. Anyway, it's a delight. Please okay. see this movie. If you love The Iron Giant... Uh, it's it's a, it'd be a good double feature with secondhand lines. It's such an okay. excellent film, and nobody talks about it. Um, but uh, but yeah, anyway. So it's it's this really wonderfully crafted top to bottom. The original book is I've actually never read all of it. I just sort of skimmed it at a bookstore. But mm. it's very different from this. And it was written by Ted Hughes, uh, allegedly according mm. to reports, uh, to comfort his children after their mother died. Their mother was Sylvia Plath. Oh my God! Yeah. Okay. Uh, apparently, Ted Hughes, also from based on what little research I've done, not a great husband. So let's not give him too much credit. <laughs> but uh, uh, it has that legacy. Also, apparently, Brad Bird was very moved to tell this story about basically a gun that has a soul. He's a weapon of mass destruction yeah. who is self-aware and can choose not to be. Uh, and he, his own uh, sister was. Uh, uh, killed by her husband as a victim of gun violence oh my god so there's a lot of real genuine passion mm. and a real intent to tell a story about mortality mm. and violence and death but in a way that will connect to children and teach valuable lessons and mm. i think ted hughes filtered through brad bird tim mccanley's everyone else who worked on this movie you end up getting something really special here yeah and 
it, this is an unabashedly political film. It is about the McCarthy era. It takes place mm-hmm. in the McCarthy era during the Red Scare. There's a character, uh, a government agent character who is uh, after the main character named Hogarth Hughes. Uh, and the, the main character is named Hogarth, Hogarth Hughes. Hughes. The, yeah, the, the, the FBI the, agent is so, um, what, Manly. Hogarth. Kent, Man- Man- Kent Manley? I think Manley, yeah. Agent yeah. Manley. Yeah. Uh, and just sort of snapping at people and is really kind of cruel. And yeah, he's after Sorry, Kent this- Mansley. Mansley. I got so close. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's this paranoid mm. FBI agent who thinks that... He actually has a lot of speeches, which... And he yells them at a kid, and you realize just how much people have been told, especially when they're young, to fear things. Mm. And he's yelling at this kid saying, if this giant metal monster isn't American, then it means it was made by someone else. And if it's made by someone else, it ha- we have to acknowledge the possibility that it is a threat. And if we acknowledge the possibility that it is a threat, then we must absolutely assume that it is a threat and destroy it at all mm. costs. And you realize that is exactly the mentality mm. that so many people have about the other yeah, well, and, and it's and so the, frightening to see a adult just say it out loud like that to a small child. And uh, well, and that's uh, that's what all xenophobia is, and, and that's something that's actually um, I'm not going to say it's patently American. You know, other nations have oh, this. Yeah, but it's a dawn of civilization, basically. But this is the American flavor of it, and yeah. it's something that we've lived with in this country for a long time. And I I feel like it's that attitude of xenophobia. And uh, as it turns out, the robot, and we're just going to skip to the end here, the robot is a weapon. Yeah. Uh, it's There's a, a scene partway through the movie where it sees a, a gun and its eyes sort of narrow, mm-hmm. and it starts to transform a little bit, but then Hogarth shouts something, and the, the robot kind yeah. of shakes itself out of its reverie. Yeah, his friendship with Hogarth uh, is superseding its sort of... Uh, uh, what's the word? Like, design. Yeah. As, yeah. as a weapon of mass destruction. Uh, and... Uh, it, it is ultimately about, uh, and, and he sees this gun, and Hogarth says that is a gun, and he actually says the phrase, guns kill people. Yeah. Very, they, very they, straightforwardly. They, they, see, yeah. they see, like, a, a dead animal in the woods, mm. and the Iron Giant is actually, like, doesn't understand the concept of death, even though it itself is a gun. Yeah. You know, it's a gun that walks and can think, but, like, it, it was designed to kill. Mm. And... Hogarth talks about that. One of my favorite scenes in this movie, and I think it's something that a lot of kids really glom onto, is there's a scene where Hogarth shows the Iron Giant, which is, you know, gradually learning English and how mm-hmm. to communicate and learn stuff about culture and, you know, ethics. Uh, Hogarth shows him his comic books. And there's a really wonderful moment where you start realizing the significance of representation in, <laughs> in our popular culture. Because, because when the, it comes to 50-foot robots, they're usually bad guys in comic books. Yeah, the first thing... That the Iron Giant does is it looks at a, a giant robot comic called Atamo. Mm. And Atamo, because there were a lot of like giant monster comics in the 50s. In fact, that was actually Marvel stock and trade for a while mm. before they started doing superhero, uh, superhero yeah. comics. They were doing a lot of giant monster type comics. And so he, the Iron Giant immediately recognizes itself as the villain because that's how it's portrayed in fiction. Mm. And then Hogar said, no, no, that's not you. You're Superman. And there's an, it's fascinating on two levels here because on one hand... He is. He's an immigrant from outer space <laughs> who is being taught who is being taught values by well, yeah, sympathetic middle, humans. Middle American white kid. Well, yeah. Maine, but you know, small oh, town America. Oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, 
And uh, so, so he's on one hand, yeah, that's also true. On the other hand, he's also like, yeah, white dudes are the heroes in our story, so you mm. should be more like this white dude. And you're just sort of like, wow, there's a lot going on in that scene, actually. Well, I, I do love the scene later on, though, where mm. uh, he... The the giant ends up hiding out in a junkyard. It's a safe mm-hmm. place to go because mm-hmm. uh, Dean, the the beatnik character played by uh, Henry Conner, Harry Connick Jr., who's really good. Uh, he, I, I always like Harry Connick Jr. Yeah, I think he's an underrated he's, actor. Honestly, yeah, b- between Independent, you see Independence Day, then Copycat, and then the Iron Giant. Yeah. Like you've he, run the gamut of of his range. I, I, I uh, it kind of bugs me that he didn't have a bigger movie career. Actually, he's really good. Uh, but he, he's also like a, a an artist, one of those you know fifties poets and artists, and yeah. he makes things out of things in his junkyard. And when uh, people come looking around the robot can pretend to be an art installation. So that's a, g- a good disguise. There's a good moment where uh, the, the Hogarth has had to leave the robot with Dean mm-hmm. for a while to distract the FBI agent. And, um, uh, Dean is using the robot to make art faster because it can bend metal really right. fast. It doesn't have to like go through all the process of metallurgy that Dean would have to. Mm. And Hogarth comes back and he's like, this is what you've been using the robot for arts and crafts. And you realize the robot likes arts and crafts <laughs> and the kid wants the robot to be to be like his own personal roller coaster well, like a, and like to, a pet yeah. yeah and he also wants to play like space aliens with it and like shoot it with mm. a fake gun because Ogarth is still a kid and doesn't really think about these things and yeah you realize that people are trying to make the robot more violent than the robot actually is we're trying well, to oppress it well, we're trying well, to impress upon well, it what i was going to mention values. what i was going to mention is that uh, there's a scene where hogarth in that junkyard wants to play with the robot and yeah. turn him into a, a carnival ride <laughs> and pretend that he's a tomo yeah it's like and there's a tomo and i am a bad guy i'm a good guy and i'm gonna shoot a tomo and and the the robot barely speaks. It kind of like grunts and utters single syllables and just says no. I, I think someone counted. I think he says fifty three words throughout the yeah. whole movie. Yeah, and, it's not and, a lot. and the robot says no. Like what? And he finds like a, something from a disused like storefront. Yeah, uh-huh. sticks like a big it on his chest. S. It's a yeah. big letter S. Stands up and says, "I'm Superman." <laughs> he doesn't want to play a tummo. He wants to play Superman. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's a really really good point. Yeah. Um. The only full sentence that the robot speaks in the movie, oh, other so than good. "I I'm Superman," is "I am not a gun." Yeah. He he understands that he actually has some agency and mm-hmm. can undo uh it, its own programming. Yeah. Because that late late in the movie, uh, it is it's essentially activated and turns yeah. into War of the Worlds. Yeah. It turns into one of the tripods, just this big death machine with cannons and a bubble on its head, yeah. shooting lasers and laying waste to the American countryside. And he does that because he thinks Hogarth has been killed mm-hmm. by the American soldiers who yeah. are very paranoid and are trying to kill him. Yeah. Now, uh, it, it was established earlier in the movie that. When the robot landed uh, from space, it mm-hmm. got like a dent on its head, yeah. so it, it doesn't have a memory. It doesn't know yeah. what it's here for. It affected its memory so, yeah, banks, it, it's, programming, it's whatever. Wep- yeah. Its weapon self doesn't come out until later in the movie. Uh, we actually see the dent in its head uh, smooth out as, yeah. as a symbol of that. And yeah, it goes on a, a night a really. I mean, it's it's horrifying, but it's actually this really gorgeously filmed art deco science fiction mm-hmm. destruction nightmare. It's really cool looking. Yeah, and uh, it's not but until a, but, it, but, but narratively, it's such yeah. a tragedy that it's happening. Yeah, you never get distracted by oh, that's so cool. I hope he kills a lot of people. It's like no, you realize this is bad. Things mm-hmm. have gotten as bad as they can get. And and Hogarth stops in front of the death machine and says, "You choose." 
that yeah. his his line is you don't have to do this and the the robot points a gun at Hogarth who's you know, this little tiny kid right in front of him uh-huh. and Hogarth just says you choose and that's when he says his one one full line of dialogue mm-hmm. I am not a gun I thought he said it earlier maybe mm-hmm. I'm just imagining because I remember mm-hmm. uh, when uh, the Iron Giant responded reflexively. Mm-hmm. Uh, to Hogarth using a toy gun and responded sort of in self-defense by shooting lasers at its eyes. And Dean says, it's a gun. You need to get away from it. It's not safe. Mm. And he starts yelling at the Iron Giant saying, you almost killed Hogarth. And the Iron Giant, beautiful character animation. It's such a simple, like, design, but it's very evocative and can convey almost any, like, emotion Mm. as beautifully as any silent film star. And you can see how hurt and how he doesn't know what he did wrong and he feels so terrible about it. And he just runs. And that's when Dean realizes it was acting in self-defense. It didn't know what was going on. He's, yeah, still, yeah. he's still very childlike. And I remember, and maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but I remember uh, when uh, it's after like some kids were about to fall off a building and the Iron Giant catches them. And it's giant metal hands, which somehow saves them instead of breaking their spines. Uh, it's a moving thing. They're not just landing on the the still hand, right? Doesn't he move his hand? He, he, he a little bit, but he's also like does it in mid jump, so it doesn't really read as well. This happens it's, in almost all the Transformers movies, and it always bugs me. It's like oh, it's metal. I'll catch you, yeah, but it's, it's you're metal. <laughs> it's not gonna help. It's like being caught by a, a crane. That's yeah, not, that doesn't work that way. Anyway, I'll, I'll let it slide because mm-hmm. who cares? But like. Mm-hmm. It's mildly amusing to think about, but I remember him like letting the kids down, and then when Hogarth and Dean show up, I re- that's when I remember him saying, "I'm not a gun." Oh, but right. maybe it's maybe this is one of those Mandela effect things. No, maybe maybe I'm missing. Well, the important thing is that is the line, and it is a beautiful line, mm. and it's that line. Watching it again for this uh, podcast really made me mad at Ready Player One. <laughs> well, uh, you, we 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 talked about this when Ready Player One came out because we are fans of the the Iron Giant, mm-hmm. and the whole idea with Ready Player One is uh, the, I guess for lack of a better term, the nerd pop canon, yeah, uh, of known char- known fantasy movie, TV, and comic book characters are now sort of turned into this idealized, essentially heaven-like world Mm -hmm. where everyone can be whatever they want, so long as this is a licensed character. Mm -hmm. It's virtual. uh, Well, they they have original characters, too. But, like, it's virtual uh, reality, but most people choose to represent themselves as their favorite pop culture characters. So mm. there's Batman and Tracer from Overwatch mm-hmm. and the there's Ghostbusters. And, 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 yeah, and so uh, one of the characters is working on a mod for a big Iron Giant character. And it's mm. like, oh, are you making an Iron Giant? That's cool. And at first it's seen as just sort of a past, uh, one of the millions of throwaway references. Mm. And at the end of the movie, when there's a giant war between all of the licensed characters they could afford <laughs> and the bad guys who <gasps> want to use the Ready Player One universe to promote things mm-hmm. like licensed characters... Uh, <laughs> No awareness of the irony. Advertising is seen as the villain in that piece. Yeah, and then the movie ends with the biggest advertising ever. Mm. And But there's this whole bit where they use the Iron Giant as a weapon mm-hmm. to kill. And fuck you. As, yeah, fuck like, you, like a, really? What the it, hell? It didn't matter what the character was. They joined in the army. So yeah. uh, essentially, these are pop culture figures... That are being used as weapons. No, I just... It's, and but, the, it's but it's especially perverse in, yeah, for with, the Iron Giant. For the, yeah, now, if, if you're playing, like, a 
like there's a Robotech or a Gundam character. It's like yeah. those were war robots. There's a fun in, in shot in the context of the original. There's a fun shot in here where Chucky is killing a bunch of people, right. and I'm like. Okay, I didn't think I'd ever see Steven Spielberg have a movie with Chucky in it, so that's kind of fun. But it makes sense for Chucky. The Iron Giant is not supposed to be doing that. That's cruel. <laughs> that's cruel to the Iron Giant to like warp its legacy like that. Mm. Um, but uh, but anyway, back to the to the film proper. Um, I mean, look, well, well, to yeah. but the the point is, yeah, yeah. Steven Spielberg or uh, whose name of the, the the author of the, the oh, book, I forget one. that guy's name. Once I'll find it. Uh, some white nerd man. Uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you're, this, you're, this, this you're, is, you're not wrong. This is white nerd man fantasy. Um, uh, they, they they misused the character. Ernest Klein. Ernest Klein uh, yeah. misused that character in the most egregious way. To be fair, uh, the Iron Giant didn't use, didn't fulfill that role in the book. Okay, so I believe in, so I believe this, in the, the book it was Gundam. All right. I could be wrong, but I believe it was Gundam. Well, and the a, whole like, There was a Gundam in the movie as well. Yeah, I, but yeah. the idea is it was supposed to... I, mean, I could be wrong. I think mm. it was Gundam, but it was an anime cre- uh, uh, giant robot. Yeah. And I believe the idea was that they changed it because Western audiences wouldn't mm. look at that as like the ultimate pop culture coolness. Yeah. Because that scene is a little fringe in America where not everyone is aware of Trans or Z or whatever the hell it mm. was. <laughs> so they made it the Iron Giant, which, okay, I get it. You westernized it for what you considered to be a western audience Mm. but the iron giant is not what you should have picked no that's wrong i i I find that's a bad 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 choice that's what i've i've not to go off on a tangent already player one but that's it really kind of reveals a big problem with the way we consume popular culture Mm. and i think maybe that's something that hurt the iron giant's success ultimately is that it's not cool. In it fact, was it's Ultraman. A, Ultraman. They replaced uh, it with Ultra. Okay, here's what happened. There was Ultraman, mm. and they replaced Ultraman with the double whammy of the Iron Giant and Gundam. And Gundam. Okay, that's why Gundam was in there too. I was but, misremembering uh, it, but yeah, it was. I was Ultraman uh, originally. The idea of a lot of the pop culture tro- tropes as uh, revealed in Ready Player One is that we expect all of the characters, no matter how what kind of affection we feel for them, mm. eventually are mashed into this big pop culture mass. Where they all kind of have a, a badass character. Mm. They all, they're all these sort of warriors for good. Yeah. Whether or not they're warriors or for good, that's kind of how we start to see them all. This is where why Chucky and the Pokemon and Hello yeah. Kitty and all these characters can be seen as a piece. And it, yeah. it doesn't seem so odd. I blame Cartoon um, All-Stars to the rescue. <laughs> well, you can, uh, you can blame a lot on cartoon alter yeah, that was a, that was a TV special. It's like ninety ninety one, early there, early nineties. Yeah. It was a TV special in which a bunch of different mm. cartoon characters from mm. different companies, including mm. Muppet Babies, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Garfield, uh, and uh, and mm. many more besides Bugs Bunny, then mm. uh, uh, they all teamed up to help a kid get off drugs, mm. and. Um, it's well intentioned, and no one's going to argue that. But it's weird. Mm. It's a real weird thing, man. Well, and they're all kind uh, of like unequal footing, and it's uh, weird to hear little baby Kermit talk about weed. <laughs> you don't, you don't want to do drugs. Yeah, it's it's, it's so really weird. bizarre. What's this? A joint? Well, you know, you know, Bugs Bunny. Like he, he oh, knows, Bugs Bunny he knows drugs. Yeah. Bugs, listen, if if Bugs Bunny smokes tobacco, you know it'll be with a wacky kind. I I see him more of a coke guy, but. <laughs> Yeah, actually, yeah, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, see. Yeah, no, uh, uh, Daffy's a Coke guy. Daffy's a Coke Daffy's yeah. definitely a Coke guy. Da- da- yeah, <laughs> Daffy Duck is a Coke guy. Yeah. You heard it here first, Philip. <laughs> 
we're a Richard Linklater film all of a sudden. <laughs> so um, wrong. And it, but but yeah, I think one of the reasons the Iron Giant didn't succeed is because it even in 1999, a lot of that nascent idea of this sort of al- amalgamated, homogenized geek culture yeah. was part of the consciousness. In the 90s, it was a lot more varied because you had a lot of indie films working their way in there. It was like a lot of mainstream hits and comic book characters, but also stuff like Pulp Fiction was yeah. wandering in around the edges, uh, which is not a badass movie. <laughs> yeah, but it kind of is. I, I mean, there, I guess it's, it kind it's of very, is. It's very cool. There's nothing cool about The Iron Giant. In fact, it's a really corny, gentle story, very specifically, openly, and in dialogue about pacifism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the we get to see the Iron Giant turn into a weapon, but the whole point is that weapons are bad. Yeah, and it's I, a tragedy when he turns into a weapon. And you might yeah. find that films that preach nonviolence tend not to find a very big audience. That is often the case. Uh, that's not that's not unilaterally true, no, but that's but, often the case. I mean, and I can point but, to a Hidden Life as a, a prime well, example of this. That the was, Hidden Life was never gonna was never going for the blockbuster audience, but more people should have been talking about it. I agree. D- yeah. Disney owned Fox at that point, and they basically mm. buried that film, and it's a tragedy. You liked it more than I did, but I admit it's a beautiful piece of cinema. Yeah. People should have seen this wonderful film about a person who uh, absolutely refuses to have any participation in World War II and pays mm. a, a really long, hard price for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fantastic, um, but um, I, I think when I was watching the Iron Giant this time, the thing that came to me was how much better a Superman movie this is than any other Superman movie. <laughs> even the good ones, even the ones mm-hmm. that we mostly agree on are mm-hmm. good, like Superman the movie, which I like the first half of, or I, Superman I like, Superman Two, which like, most people like. You know, the, the Richard Donner cut that eventually came out, I think, is a superior film, but they're both yeah. good. I mean, they're, it's cheaper in the bits that because. For reasons, but like, yeah, I, I like the Donner cut too. But this film is a wonderful Superman movie because it is about someone coming to Earth from a totally different place, having godlike power hmm. and a and, propensity for violence, and a propensity for violence, and the capacity pro- for violence yeah. as well, if nothing else. Yeah, that, but that, and someone who is pushed to it. Yeah, that's not part of the Superman story. And I think um, that's. That might be what Zack Snyder might have been getting at. I think a little bit, because he wanted to like fight against his bullies and yeah, stuff. And, but but, but it, it didn't read because it's such a horribly made movie. It didn't read because, ultimately, how, uh, uh, Hogarth Hughes in The Iron Giant mm. is a better father than Superman's father is in Man of Steel. Because mm. I understand where Superman's father was coming from and wanting to protect his child at all costs. That's not coming from a, from a particularly ethical place. Mm. And that's something that I think does that film a dramatic disservice because ultimately it doesn't feel as mm. though Superman has actually been nurtured in a heroic way and that he actually had to find heroism the long way around rather mm. than just getting his dad right the first time. It's weird. Mm. And when you look at those, the, and Hogarth makes mistakes. Hogarth is a child. Hogarth thinks violence is fun in play, and he doesn't realize that that has actual consequences because it teaches a childlike being mm. how to behave. And it confuses him. Yeah. Because you said this is bad, but now you're doing it now. And so you, I thought it was bad, so it's fighting back. And you can see like the gears turn in the Iron Giant's head mm. as it's trying to suss out what it is supposed to be doing, what it is supposed to be feeling and thinking. And when it ultimately chooses at the end of the movie to be Superman, 
That's it's such a better Superman <laughs> moment than almost any other <laughs> Superman moment we've ever yeah, seen in a man. movie. And it's earned. And yeah, there's not a lot of action in it. And in the end... And it's it's hard to sell a movie like this like, like in, in a toyetic sense. Yeah, because it's E.T. E.T. Mm. doesn't have a lot of action either. It just has that one big set piece with the bicycles. That's mm. it. So you sell the hell out of that image. And maybe they should have sold the hell out of different images in Iron Giant in order to sort of get people into the theater and realize that this is a sweet film mm. about the dangers of paranoia, about the dangers of even violent media. Mm. And that it would teach someone to be a gun. Because this is how you're portrayed. This is what we expect of you. And in the end, the reason why the Iron Giant attacks is because it's pushed too hard by people who are scared, by people who assume it is what it looks like. And there's a really powerful story there. And I think you could tell a Superman story that way, where Superman is like, you know, Bruce Lee in The Big Boss, where, or, or where he's like, I, I won't fight. Mm. I won't fight. That's not what I do. I'm not going to fight. Fighting's wrong. Mm. Fighting's wrong. And then eventually the bad guy pushes so hard, I have to. Mm. And I have no other uh, choice. This may be a controversial statement. You're talking about Superman. I'd compare it to E.T. We've yeah, been comparing very, it to E.T. Very apt. Um, this is a more thematically rich film than E.T. Uh, and in a way, this may be the superior version of the story. Mm. E.T. is a very emotional story. And yeah. it is ultimately about empathy. Agreed. About how uh, this young boy and this creature form this kind of empathic bond to... I actually took, I was a little bit dense the first time I saw this. I saw E.T. for the first time when I was like 30. Mm. And uh, when the, the scene where uh, E.T. is raiding the fridge and drinking the beers. Yeah. And uh, Elliot is getting drunk at school. I didn't understand <laughs> what was going on. I thought like his mind had been deteriorating. <laughs> like there's radiation on the creature and he was and like Elliot was slowly dying. I didn't get that he was getting drunk because that's, the creature was drinking. That's hilarious. Uh, and that's a very, yeah, it's a very moving, it's very emotional. Kids should see mm-hmm. this because it is about reaching out and connecting with another human being. A being, a or, being no, so, or any being. Or really. a, a human being, another being. And uh, yeah. a being so gentle and so devoted to warmth that its heart literally glows. Yeah. It's cheesy as fuck because it's Spielberg. But, <laughs> but that's, that's it, what it works. Became, it, it, yeah. it really worked. That movie really, yeah. really worked. I, I rewatched I was, it for the first time in many, many, mm-hmm. like probably decades, uh-huh. like last year. Mm-hmm. And. I was completely overwhelmed with how beautifully present. You've noticed that almost no shot in that movie is mm. told from an adult's point of view. It's almost all low yeah, angles the yeah. entire time. And you realize that Spielberg isn't just telling a story about kids. He's telling a story th- through kids. Mm. And I think he so cannily presents that story that mm. no matter how schmaltzy or weird it gets, we accept it because he teaches us to view it through the eyes of a child. Yeah, and yeah. I think the Iron Giant doesn't do that. I think the Iron Giant has is more thoughtful and salient about mm. its themes. It's, it's but a I think bit it's, more. I think it's. I think it's a story f- from the perspective mm. of adults looking backward, and as mm. a result, that might just be a matter of taste. I think. Yeah. Well, it it has that kind of nostalgia, but I think it's a Stephen King nostalgia. Main setting would mm. would denote that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in, in that it. Se- there's a lot of nostalgia and warmth for the period, but it also acknowledges that there's a lot of a lot of things wrong with the past. Mm. Um, it's actually a big problem I had with the new It movies, uh, mm-hmm. where it kind of w- wasn't commenting on the past, it was commenting a little too much on the present, about, I, about the way we view... And it, it, there's, there's a whole essay I, in there. I, but, um, I, I disagree with your general yeah. interpretation. I Maybe it could have done more, but I think it's in there. All right. Um, but yeah, I think the, the Iron Giant is, in that Stephen King sort of way, 
looking back at the 1950s as a time that was sold as idealistic, mm-hmm. but had a lot of things that were deeply, deeply wrong with it. Yeah, there's the great bit in the movie where uh, they're watching a video in school on a projector and everything so, yeah. which you used to do. And, um, and they're watching a video about the nuclear apocalypse, which mm-hmm. we were told was right around the corner on any given yeah, the, day. The whole duck and cover thing. And yeah, and the whole thing is, oh, what, what do you do if the nuclear apocalypse hits? Just duck and cover. And that comes in at the end when uh, uh, Mansley, uh, Kent Mansley, when Kent Mansley orders a nuclear bomb to destroy the town of Maine that they're all in. And he's because he's so fucking scared of the Iron Giant. That guy is one of the worst. And by that, I mean, best villains in any kid's movie. Hmm. He's so evil and he doesn't even know it. That's the beauty of him. It's incredible. But. He orders the nuclear bomb to attack, and the general, who's his boss, is like, you just sent a nuclear bomb to us. (laughs) And Mansley's like, well, we could duck and cover. That's a lord of horse crap, and you know it, Kent. We're all going to die now, (laughs) and my last act on this planet will be to make sure that you die too. (laughs) Which is such a heavy thing! (laughs) And then he, like, panics and tries to drive away, and the Iron Giant, like, breaks his car. Oh, and that was, uh, who played that old general? Uh, John Mahoney. It was John Mahoney who played the old general, and Christopher McDonald plays Mansley, and he's perfect. Mm. I was reading a thing, um, apparently the studio... Uh, wanting to have like big stars in the movie mm. because you know they were starting to sell animated movies. Um, Harry Connick Jr. wasn't a big star. Jennifer Aniston plays the mom. She was kind of big. Um, but uh, this was before wh- they were selling uh, the cast in animated films yeah, sh- for the most part. I mean, Toy Story had you know Tom Hanks and Tim Allen. That was they, a big they advertised one. That Bugs uh, Life the, did that too to an yeah, extent. The, the the big you know the first one to really break that through was Robin Williams in Aladdin. They said mm. Robin Williams is the genie in Aladdin. It's going to be great and. I think the dam burst with Shrek. Yeah, I think yeah. Shrek is definitely the Where one they, that they changed just had that the, forever. The, the voice actor's name's really big on the post. But again, Warner Brothers was trying to make this a mm-hmm. hit, and so apparently who they wanted to play mm-hmm. Dean was John Travolta, and I can actually see him being good at that. He'd be fine. I yeah, think he'd I, be good. I, Nin- I, I late like 90s Travolta, that's, that's a good Travolta. I, I like Harry Connick Jr. just fine, but yeah, I would Travolta not begrudge would Travolta. But apparently for Mansley, and this would have been a different version of the story. Like, mm. you just know it would play differently. But I can also kind of mm. see it working. All right. Schwarzenegger. As, as Mansley? Yeah. No, right. He would have been like a more of a. I can only imagine him being a more like stern military figure rather than a sniveling guy. Mm. It's, as I said, I think it would have been different. I can also kind of see it working. All right, it'd be kind of it'd be kind of cool actually to see like Schwarzenegger play like militarism as the enemy of good. Yeah, considering yeah. that he he was commando, you know, he mm-hmm. was like and the poster child for that in the eighties. It well, kind of would have been an interesting choice, actually. It would have been an interesting choice. I don't think Schwarzenegger has ever played that type of character, though. If he has, it's always been kind of a spoof. Yeah, like uh, something like in Junior, where he's kind of a gentle character, but we're kind of. Yeah. It, it's it's all like toxic masculine emasculating humor. Uh, oh yeah, yeah what in, if in Schwarzenegger was pregnant? No, no. Oh no, he's acting like a woman. Yeah, that movie. What, what a so what a joke! Fun. It's 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 that a movie. weird idea and it's incredibly bad. It's a really bad film. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's one it's of the biggest. So it's based fucking on a really awful. horrible idea. Just the performances oh, are bad. It's badly oh, written. Everything about it is uh, even the, Emma Thompson is bad in it. Like it's Emma so Thompson bad. does have one good line in Junior where what she says, uh, uh, 
women have so little in this world, you're going to take pregnancy from us too. That's not, <laughs> she even says, right, that's, that's not fair. That's, no. that's a good point. Um, but mm. uh, that, that movie is just absolutely It's so precious. awful, yeah. But the Iron Giant's great. Mm. Um, beautifully animated. There's an, there's an attention to detail in the Iron Giant that uh, largely mm. goes unnoticed. I was watching this with my wife and partner, Michelle, and she, um, you know, she went to school for animation and she was talking about when this movie came out in 1999, how mm. she completely geeked out over when yeah. a flashlight is on and shining into the distance, how it would like lose its illumination over, over mm. space like over distance mm. and how like most animated movies and, and cartoons just didn't do that. And she completely geeked out over the attention to detail. Like that was a huge thing for her. Mm. And apparently everyone thought she was nuts. Like that's what you geeked out about. Like, <laughs> yes, that was amazing. And you can tell that there's a lot of love here. There's a lot of really wonderful character animation. The scene where mm. uh, Hogarth has espresso is, <laughs> and he just starts talking like a like a speeding bullet, like the Micro Machines mm. guy. That's a wonderful little bit of animation oh, um, right there. Although I think there's a bit of, there's a bit of an anachronism. What, because in, uh, in espresso? Well, no, because Dean calls espresso coffee zilla. Oh. And when and when did Godzilla no, King Godzilla would have come out? Oh, it was fifty seven. So Godzilla would have been out. It might have been new, but it's fair. Yeah. Like probably would have been relatively new, but it was a thing. I just I know it came out in '54 in Japan. I just I, don't remember its American release. I, I want to say it was '56, right? But I'm going to look it up. Hang on, Godzilla King, King, God, Godzilla of, the King of the Monsters, not that Godzilla King of the Monsters, King not the, the bad Monster. one. 1950. Uh, okay, uh, 1956 was the American okay, version. So the 1954 in Japanese, the American version, 1956. Not an anachronism. I no, take no. It back. cutting it close though. Yeah, cutting it close. But yeah, um, Iron Giant. I, I really dig it. I think yeah. it's really quite good. Um, I think it has very important salient messages. I think it tells them in a gentle, intelligent way that kids can understand. It doesn't talk down to kids once. No. Nope. And I appreciate that. Uh, f- filmmakers of children's entertainment often forget that kids are very sophisticated. Yeah. And they can absorb a lot more than you think. Yeah. You might need to be a little bit more didactic about stuff, but mm. in generally, yeah, they're... Hmm. They're they're not dumb. They're actually like they're constantly paying attention yeah. because they don't understand the whole world yet, and they're hmm. trying to figure it out. And as a result, if you put the information out there, they'll get it. Uh-huh. You know, they might not understand everything in context because hmm. might they have the context yet. But if you tell a story strongly enough, they'll pick up on it. Um, yeah, I think, uh, and I'm curious actually because the idea of whether this movie is a cult classic or a classic now mm-hmm. is interesting to me because I think it depends largely upon um, the people around you. Like, a lot of people ask us as critics because we see a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. What's, what's, a, what's the most, what, what's a really underrated movie? What's a really overrated movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, I that, think, I, but the problem is those are really subjective terms. Yeah, they, and they're they, subjective. All come down, they all come down to whatever your perception of popular opinion is. And that's exactly. a, a, not a measurable thing. Exactly. Because your perception of popular opinion is based on who you know and who you follow and who you read. Yeah. So if everyone you know personally mm-hmm. thinks Citizen Kane sucks, then you might say Citizen Kane is underrated. Or it requires a lot of defense. Yeah, whereas there's a lot of people out there to whom Citizen Kane is considered the best movie ever made, and rightfully so in their eyes. So if you call Citizen Kane underrated in that crowd, 
they're going to look at you like you just came in from outer space and you accidentally revealed your secret identity as a space alien spy. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, we have some pointed questions for you right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's it like up there, and will you please take us? Gods <laughs> are very good. It's better right now. Um, but uh, but and this and the opposite, of course, mm. is totally true. And so, if you ask me what movie is underrated, and if I said the Iron Giant, a lot of people just totally accept this movie as a classic now. But mm. the people you know might not be as into cinema, or might not be as into animation, at least, and they consider the Iron Giant a bit of an obscurity because it's mm. twenty one years old now. Yeah, well, what, that, that's that that made that might make it more of a cult classic in yeah. your eyes. So I think uh, we we can still say it might be underrated because um, I don't send like a lot of people have seen it. Yeah, but you don't. It doesn't drift in and out of the conversation uh, in a lot of ways, like like a, the way a Disney product might, mm -hmm. or uh, it's not definitely not overexposed the way mm -hmm. some cult films. It's not turn constantly out to be. marketed. Yeah. There was no TV series exactly. based like, on it. It's like Ghostbusters. It, it's been years since I've seen Ghostbusters, and I'm sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I like Ghostbusters. People I, talk I about it all lot, the time. There's still always, merchandise. Always, always, always part everywhere. of the conversation. Yeah. There's not like Iron Giant Monopoly out there. It's still That'd be a weird. It game. still gets all of its power from the film itself and i think that's the way a lot of films ought to be talked about yeah um the iron giant there you iron go. giant mm. ants in the pants that's what, what you do like, what are the what are the ants little little giants no here's what you do because the whole thing of the iron giant is like mm. if it breaks the pieces all come back together so mm. it's just the iron giant's legs and like a hole and like its torso mm. and you're throwing the ants and all the ants are pieces of the iron giant mm. and you're just throwing them into the Hmm. It's the Iron Giant. <laughs> Am I remembering how Ants in the Pants was played? Is that is that a way uh, you throw no, it into the pants? No. What was the? Mm. There were big pants. I remember there were pants. I think you had to fish ants out of the pants. Oh, that's I don't think you threw idea. ants in the pants. Okay, I might be thinking of. I didn't have ants in the pants. I had a game called Bed Bugs. That might be what I'm thinking of. Yeah, which it was like. Um, um, the foot, the, like the vibrating football. Oh players. yeah, and they all like zipped around, yeah, and you like had to like pick them up with tweezers, vibrating right? cardboard, uh, and yeah, it would shake a lot of these little bugs around. They're all different colors, and you had to pick out your own color. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. With tweezers. I think I got that for like my eighth birthday or something. Yeah, it was, was a magical time. I always feel bad child. for those hungry, hungry hippos. My, they got fed. Yeah, it was so much work mm. though. <laughs> every time, and you, you had to play every single day, or they'd starve. Uh, yeah, it's a big responsibility. You're not just getting a game; you're getting pets. <laughs> Sad, really. Mm. Anyway, that's the Iron Giant. Uh, the Iron Giant, I would argue, is a classic. I think it's earned its uh, place as a classic. Yeah, um, I think it does have influence. I think people who grew up with it, I think, can really appreciate its messaging. It holds up really well. Like it's mm. still really beautifully told. Uh, very little about it like comes at you as like oh that's technology different now whatever like no it still reads yeah everything about funny. it still plays beautifully the wonderful thing about animation yeah. is it doesn't just classically classical hand drawn animation is it doesn't ever feel dated mm -hmm. and but but sometimes the marriage of uh, uh, new visual effects mm -hmm. with traditional storytelling sometimes there are you know, so you see the seams. You see the yeah. seams. You're, you mean, they didn't nail it the first time out, mm. that kind of thing. And so sometimes you'll see like early CGI movies and you're just like, wow, that was impressive for the time, but it doesn't look very good anymore. Mm. They just didn't nail it yet. And the Iron Giant, they just they knew exactly what to do. They knew exactly what limitations to work with and what to to smooth over and what to just 
let be part of the film and the Iron Giant just fits. Mm. And it is a beautiful piece of cinema. It's always a treat to rewatch it. And uh, I really, 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 really want to give a very special thank you to our patron, Nikolai Hogstead. Mm. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Uh, who chose this as their your critically acclaimed mm. episode. Uh, give, this give, is a real treat. It, just giving us an excuse to talk about a movie we really like is, yeah. is always a treat. So thank, yeah. thank you for that. Yeah, I, for I, I, I believe we may have forgotten to mention his name at the beginning of the episode. Oh, for did. that, I apologize. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Nikolai, for thank suggesting you. The Iron Giant. A wonderful, 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 wonderful film. Uh, so anyway, we have uh, lots more uh, uh, Your Critically Acclaims coming. They are... Uh, they're all varied. The yeah. They're all. They're, we're all working on working on as fast as we can. There are a lot of various different topics. Some of them might seem like they come out of left field. I think that makes it really, really fun. And we're going to really pick up the pace on those mm. uh, starting now, basically. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, stick around. We have more of that coming, and of course, we have more podcasts. At the Critically Acclaimed Network, uh, if you don't subscribe, you still get a ton of shows like Critically Acclaimed, where we review new movies. Uh, mm. We have Cancel Too Soon, where we review TV shows that lasted one season or less. We're a little behind on mm. that. Sorry, it's been a it's been a week. Uh, it's been a real. <laughs> Real week, I'm not gonna lie. Um, but so we've got we've got mail where we answer your emails. We've got episode zero where we're talking about the prehistory of Star Wars. Only two more episodes left in the prehistory of Star Wars, and then we're gonna start talking about the prehistory of another pop culture phenomenon. Uh, and uh, also we've got over a Patreon.com/slash Critically Acclaimed Network a ton of exclusive shows, mm. including All Our Yesterdays, where we review every single Star Trek episode in production order. Mm. Uh, every series of Star Trek. All included. Yeah. Uh, we've got not on Disney Plus, where we talk about movies uh, that are not on Disney Plus, but should be. Hmm. Uh, we've got commentary tracks. We're about to do one for one of the Star Wars movies. We're going to have to have a runoff because it was pretty close when we did a poll about it. Um, we've got only the best, where we talk about every film ever nominated for Best Picture, and we've got a new podcast we're debuting called Holy Batman. Oh, and that is holy. As in the whole a, of Batman. With a W. Uh, and in that one, we're doing every single episode of the 1960s live-action Batman series starring Adam West and Burt Ward and a slew of incredible guest mm -hmm. stars playing Batman's iconic villains. We, uh, we aim to make it short, but our first episode ended up being kind of long. <laughs> well, our whole thing, was, uh, the whole thing was these episodes are kind of straightforward. They don't all have to be an hour long. The first one was an hour long. An hour long. Yeah, it's, because it's, that's what we do. But uh, whatever. We like to talk. So thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, if you want to submit a your uh, critically acclaimed request, you can sign up at uh, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, either way, be sure to follow us on Twitter at critically acclaimed. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, and of course, you can write in letters at critically acclaimed.net if you want to talk to us about anything at all, really. Ask us questions, comment mm -hmm. about one of our reviews. We would love to hear from you and we might read your letter in an upcoming episode of We've Got Mail. Mm -hmm. uh, so from Whitney and Bibbs. Uh, I always forget we're supposed to end these podcasts. So just, bye. You can just say sincerely yours. Sincerely, uh, bye. <laughs>